They said, well, what's this other building? He said, that's my church. This is where I go to worship. This is where I go to pray because I love Jesus. And they said, okay, that makes sense. That's great. And they said, well, what's the other building? He said, oh, that's my old church. <laughs> Those people over there, they hurt my feelings, so I had to leave and find a new one. The fact is that most all of us probably can relate to that guy, as crazy as it may have been. Because we know what it's like uh, to have our feelings hurt at church. We know what it's like to bear the scars of church conflict. We know what it's like to see committees become war councils. We know about church conflict. We know how frustrating it can be. We know how hurtful it can be. We know how damaging that it can be to a congregation and to our own individual lives. We know what it's like to see church conflict on the ground, from the inside. But you know, it's also got to be something crazy to see church conflict from the outside. And to see the division and separation that exists among Christians for those that aren't Christian. Just think about this. I could leave here this morning, I could leave our Southern Baptist Church, and in about 10 minutes... I could find an independent Baptist church, a free will Baptist church, a United Methodist church, an Episcopal church, an African Methodist Episcopal church, the church of Christ, the church of God, the church of God in Christ, the church of God a prophecy, the church of God incorporated with signs following, the Holiness Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Pentecostal Holiness Church, the United Pentecostal Church. I could find the Church of the Nazarene. I could find the Wesleyan Church. I could find the Presbyterian Church of America or the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America. I could find the Lutheran Church Evangelical or the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And not to mention all the non-denominational churches that are really just made up of ticked-off Baptists. And so, what are we to make of all of these divisions, all of this separation, all of this conflict, that comes to church. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news today, but we are going to visit a divided church as we look into the book of 1 Corinthians. So take your Bible and turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 10. And we'll read down through verse 17 this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. The Apostle Paul is going to write to a divided church. And he's going to write to them to drive home the truth that every embattled Christian needs to remember. And that is churches fight and churches divide when something other than Jesus becomes bigger than Jesus. Churches fight when something other than Jesus becomes bigger than Jesus. Let me read these verses to you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. 
so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remaineth forever. As we began studying the book of 1 Corinthians last week, we were brought face to face with an amazing claim from the Apostle Paul. And that is that the people of God are saints while they are still sinners. And that is the great truth and the great promise and the great offer of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That God does not come to us in our sins and say, if you do a little bit better, if you try a little bit harder, if you'd clean up a little bit nicer, then maybe one day you could work your way into sainthood. But God comes to us in grace, as sinful as we are, as broken as we are, as hopeless as we are. And God says, believe in Christ and you will be declared a saint now. And so Paul says, that's the reality for the church of Jesus. It is a place for sinners and saints. And the church of Corinth, y'all, they are as sinful as it gets. You're going to see more of this as we go forward in this book. There are people in the church of Corinth that have sexual issues. There are people in the church of Corinth that have legal problems. There are people in the church of Corinth that are getting drunk at church. There are people that are just making a disaster of everything that the church should be about. And so if you're the Apostle Paul, knowing that you have all of this drama happening at church, where do you start? What's the first problem that you tackle? Surely the first thing you want to do is call out the guy who's having an affair with his stepmom. Surely the first thing you want to do is at least tell everybody to sober up before you can help them. But the first problem that Paul deals with, really the first four chapters of the book, is the problem of division in the church. The problem of conflict that stems out of spiritual immaturity. That stems out of replacing the wisdom of God in Christ for the wisdom of the world, which is really foolishness in the sight of God. Paul says, this is where we've got to start. We've got to start by bringing a white flag to the conflict. We've got to start by mending the separation. By healing the schism and bringing people back together. And so that's going to be Paul's goal. That's where we'll start today. We'll talk about Paul's goal and you find it in verse number 10. And the goal really is simple. The goal is that everyone agrees and that there be no divisions. But I like the way that the Apostle Paul looks at this great project of uniting the church of Corinth. Because what Paul doesn't come to do, he doesn't come like most Baptist pastors would do. He doesn't come in and say, bless God, I'm the pastor around here and you're going to listen to what I tell you. Paul doesn't even come, you know, flashing his apostolic badge and saying, I am the Apostle Paul, I am Saint Paul, you will listen to what I say. Rather, Paul appeals to this church as if they are family. Do you notice what he says to them in verse number 10? He says, I appeal to you, brothers. He uses the same terminology at the end of verse number 11. I appeal to you, brothers. It's easy to forget in the middle of church conflict, when there's disagreement, when people don't want to get along, when there are turf wars and when there are power plays and when there are bullies that are having their way in the church, it's easy to forget that in Christ, y'all, we are family. That we are the family of God. 
when the church sometimes has all of the drama of a high school cafeteria and all the cliques of a bunch of teenage girls that can't get along. Aren't you glad today church don't have to be like high school? But when that's the environment in the church, or when the church has all of the thrilling excitement of a political espionage movie, friends, we need to remind ourselves that we are the family of God and that we have not come into being because we all have common interests or because we all have a common background or even because we all have the exact same beliefs. But we have been brought into being because we have all been born from the great heart of God's love for us. We have all been conceived from His love, and we have all been brought into this world by the grace He poured out for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where the family of God comes from. Paul would write to another fighting church in the book of Galatians, a church that was devouring itself over theological disagreement. And he says to them, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household or the family of faith. Y'all, this building, with its sticks and its bricks, with its carpet and its seats, with its rooms, this building is not the house of God. We are the household of God. We are the family of God. Born by His grace and adopted into this thing by the love of Jesus Himself. Now, the thing about family is that not everybody in a family is the same, are they? There are four people in my household. Different maturity levels, different educational backgrounds, different preferences, different talents, different abilities, different capabilities, different hindrances, different heights, different weights. But we're all family. We don't all like the same thing. If it was up to me, I would listen to blues music. My kids, they don't talk about Bruno. Amy, the only people that laughed at that have children at home. Amy, man, it would be Dolly Parton and Gangster Rap if it was up to her. We're all different. We're all unique. Amy and I, we can color inside the lines. My kids aren't quite there yet. We all have different personalities. We were born, get this, y'all, we were born in a different millennium than our children were. That's a weird thing to think about, isn't it? We're different. But my wife and I are family because we share a common commitment of love to one another. Our children are our family because they carry our genetics and they carry our DNA. We are a family because we have been brought together in love and we all have a common name. For better or worse, we're all cars. We're all cars. That's what Paul is saying is true about the church. That we all have a common name. And the common name is Christ. We all have the same father. We've all been brought into the family no matter how long we've been in. No matter where we got in, we've all been brought into the family in the same way. And that is by grace, through faith, after the Spirit of God brought the gospel to bear on our hearts. We all have God's DNA written inside of us. We are all in His family. Chosen, loved, welcomed, wanted, and accepted by the grace of God. This church in Corinth, and maybe to some degree our church today, we need to, re- we need to remember, they need to remember, That those things we have in common as the family of God, those things are always bigger than whatever might divide us. Paul would write to another church in conflict for different reasons in Ephesians chapter 4. And he would say to them, there's one body, there's one spirit, 
Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Paul says to us as a church family today, Sharon Heights, no matter how different you may be from the people that are around you in this church, in the end, we all have the same God. We all have the same Savior. We've all been baptized in the same name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all have been given the same kind of faith to believe the gospel. We all have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. We all have been put into the same body of the same Christ. And those things that we have in common are greater than whatever differences that we might hold. And we do have differences. The church of Corinth, they had their differences. We have our differences. Some of y'all grew up in churches that were always singing the most cutting-edge contemporary music. And you grew up singing, shout to the Lord. Some of us grew up in churches where we shouted to the Lord. That's not the same thing. Some of y'all grew up in churches where every Sunday a professionally trained musician would sit beside or behind a $100,000 organ and they would write 50,000 50, 50, candles while they would sing hymns that were 300 years old. Some of us grew up in churches in the mountains where they had an upright piano and some brother in overalls would get up and say, take your hymn book and turn to. And they'd pick out I Fly Away. We all come from different places. We all have different preferences. We come from different denominations. We're just like a hot dog church that's been putting this thing together. All kinds of parts and pieces that God has united into one. But friends, I believe those differences make us stronger. Because God does have a big family. But that family is not a family of identical twins. People are different. And God has brought us together in Christ, not because we are identical. And so Paul is pleading with this church. This is the goal he sets before them. Have the same mind. Be of one heart. Learn how to love one another. Learn how to get along with one another. See the value in what God is doing in the lives of other people. Why is this so important to Paul? It's so important to Paul because a unified church clarifies the gospel. And a unified church defies the world. A unified church clarifies the gospel. And it defies the world. Because I hope you realize that our world cannot get along. The history of humanity has been the history of conflict, destruction, violence, and warfare. You remember what it was like being in high school, don't you? That's why you laughed at that cafeteria thing a minute ago. Because it's the truth. You've got the sports kids, you've got the drama kids, you've got, you know, the weird emotional kids over here. you just got all these different groups of cool kids who are in and lame kids that are out. And a lot of us never grow out of that. A lot of us bring that into church. Our world's a divided and fractured world. You turn on the television and you see politicians and pundits who are arguing about the solutions, but they can't even agree on what the problems really are. You see division everywhere. Where does a world that is divided look to find people that can forgive? Where does a divided, hostile world look to find people that prefer others above themselves? Where does a world that is broken and scarred 
by violence looks to find people who can actually live at peace with one another. They ought to look in the people of Jesus. And they ought to see him being lived out in them. That's the goal. But now we've got to deal with the problem. Paul's going to deal with the problem. And it begins in verse number 11. He says, word has come to me. Word has come to me that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. And the quarreling goes like this. Some of you say, I follow Paul. Or I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas. That's Peter. I follow Jesus. The church of Corinth had become tribal. It had become territorial. There were different parties and different factions inside the church that were all vying for power, trying to promote themselves and prove their spirituality, to prove their importance by kind of attaching themselves and hitching themselves to the reputation of certain faithful Christian preachers like Paul and Apollos and Peter. And so the Paul tribe would throw rocks at the Apollos tribe. And the Apollos tribe had declared open warfare on the Peter tribe. And they looked at each other and said, you know, I just don't think those Apollos Christians even get it. They don't know what we're going through. They haven't experienced what we've experienced. They're not tuned into the spiritual insights that we're tuned into. Sometimes I wonder if those Apollos Christians, if they're even saved. I just don't know if there's a place for those Paul people in our church. You think, oh, it's terrible that a church would be fractured like that. And it is. But it's not hard to understand why it happens. Paul had been the founder of the church of Corinth. He had been the man. He calls himself in chapter 4 their father in the faith. The one who had first preached the name of Jesus to them. And these people heard the gospel. They responded to what Paul preached. And for many of them, they looked back on those early days and Paul's early influence, and that shaped their entire identity. And that still happens to people in church today. They remember the kind of preaching they heard growing up, the kind of singing that they were hearing when they came to faith. And those first days of faith, those good old days, the glory days, they think that everybody should fit into that box. And then there's Apollos, who evidently came to Corinth sometime after Paul did. Apollos is a a preacher who appears several times in the New Testament. And Apollos was friends with Paul, but it seems like he was a different kind of leader and pastor than Paul. What I mean by that was Apollos was smart. Wicked smart. And Apollos knew how to use his vocabulary to paint such great pictures. And he would weave together thoughts and ideas that when people would hear Apollos preach, they felt like they had been transported into the third heaven and sat down at the throne of God. And evidently, there were some people in Corinth that said, that's our guy. They liked that vaulted, majestic, intellectual style of preaching. They responded well to that. And so to today, there's a kind of a celebrity culture that exists in the church, right? We read every book that John MacArthur read, has written. Good luck with that. We, everything that David Platt's put out, every podcast by Tony Evans, we're going to consume it. And then there's the Peter crowd. Maybe they were drawn to Peter because of his close proximity to Jesus. He had followed Jesus for three years. That's an incredible thing. 
And not only had Peter followed Jesus for three years, but you've got to recognize Peter was a, a, a blue-collar, down-to-earth, ordinary, average guy. And there's a certain kind of person that's going to respond to a preacher with calluses on his hand, right? I mean, remember, Peter loved Jesus and he liked to cuss a little bit. That connects with a certain market demographic. Then, there was the crowd that came out and said, we follow Jesus. Now, these people were just using that to prove how much more spiritual they were than everybody else. You ever met anybody that wants to Jesus juke every single conversation to prove how godly they are? That's these people. It was a way to use Jesus to put the spotlight on them. I just want y'all to know how much better I am than you because I love Jesus so much more than you do. Well, why did that happen in Corinth? Why were they so divided over different personalities of ministry leaders and preachers? Well, in Corinth, this was a city that prized Greek philosophy. And there was kind of a, almost a, a preoccupation with celebrity in Corinth. But their celebrities were not movie stars, of course. Uh, and their celebrities were not football players. Their celebrities were philosophers and, and traveling speakers. And so guys would come into town and they would give their speeches explaining life and the universe and everything. And the Corinthians would hear them and they would think, man, these people are so impressive. They are so important. They are so incredible. And they wanted to attach themselves to these traveling speakers to prove that they got it. They knew how the world worked. They would go around saying, oh, have you heard Marcius and the way he explains existence? No, no, you have not heard anyone explain platonic forms until you've heard Aurelius. And we are Aurelius people. And we are so much smarter than all those Marcus people. The Corinthians had gotten saved and they had just brought their celebrity culture right into church with them. And they said, we are the Paul tribe. We are the Apollos tribe. We are the Cephas tribe. And church family, we do the same thing today. We're the Calvinist tribe, we're the Arminian tribe, we're the contemporary tribe, we're the traditional tribe, we're the Holy Ghost filled tribe, we're the quiet and reverent tribe, and our tribe is not going to get along with their tribe. I don't even know if their tribe even knows God. Tribe is not like any of us. And the Corinthians were doing all of that to make a name for themselves. If you could attach yourself to Paul, that's a big deal. If you could attach yourself to Peter, that's a big deal. And they were trying to make a big deal out of themselves. But all of their attempts to get ahead had really divided the church and caused it to separate. And we should be careful to understand today two things. That all of our attempts, all of our attempts to create boundaries and to create division in the church, at the root, all of those, at the root, all those really are our power plays where somebody's trying to put the spotlight on them. I didn't think y'all would like that. But this will help you, church, if you'll let it. I'm serious. Division comes down to the fact that somebody is trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to square off their piece of territory. They're trying to say, this is where I have authority. This is where I have power. And look how important I am. And look how much I matter. And listen to why everything has to be my way. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at how intelligent I am. Look at how much I love Jesus. And it's easy for us to do the same thing that the Corinthians did based upon our preferences, the things we want in church because we think they make us appear to be more spiritual than other people. 
I mean, these kids today, they want to sing that 7-Eleven contemporary music. Their songs don't have the theological rigor of just a little talk with Jesus. I don't even know if these kids know anything about worship. Probably couldn't even find page number 411 in the hymn book, Terry. I mean, my goodness. And then the young folks in the church look around and say, those old people. Just take their sleeping pill and nod off during the singing. Don't put your heart into it. Don't put their back into it. I wonder if those people even care about worshiping Jesus. Divide over personality. I tell you, when old Dr. Bottlestopper, when he was preaching here, man, now we got that hack down here from North Carolina just yells at everybody. I'm a brother so-and-so guy. I understand so much more deep theology than these other people in my Sunday school class. They couldn't tell you the difference between infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism. I mean, do they even read the Bible? And we do all of this to put the emphasis on us. Paul also tells the church that all this is really theologically incoherent. He asks them, he says, was Paul crucified for you? He asks them, is Christ divided? So he asks the Corinthians, and I should ask you today, how many bodies does Jesus have? And if you take a bunch of body parts and you amputate them from the others and separate them and put them all in different bleeding piles, then what you have is not a church. What you have is a crime scene. Paul says we are all in the same body. And in the in-church family, hear me well today. Bill Gaither did not die on the cross for you. You were not baptized in the name of Chris Tomlin. It is not Brother Jesse who is ascended at the right hand of God interceding for you. This is not about all of these things that distract us. And it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And so Paul is now going to turn the attention off of the brokenness in the church and into the commitments of his ministry to prove how he has never been a wedge that caused this kind of division. He says to them, In this passage of Scripture. No, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so much so, Paul says something just crazy to me in verse 14. He says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of y'all. Isn't that a weird thing for a preacher to say? I'm glad I didn't baptize y'all. Because I would have got my hands dirty dunking you in the water. Why does Paul say that? I think Paul understands that had he baptized anybody other than the two men that he mentions and then the other guy he mentions later because apparently he forgot and then remembered. Oh, yeah, Stephanus. Um, Paul understood that for somebody to be baptized by him would be such a big, massive deal in their faith journey, in their Christian experience, in their walk, that that could be the only thing that they ever talked about or thought about. And it could be that being baptized by Paul would become more important than being saved by grace. You can just hear that happening, can't you? Brother's been baptized by Paul. He comes into church. Somebody says, man, Brother Jerry, it's a beautiful day we're having today. And Brother Jerry says, gosh, the weather is great. It reminds me of the day I got baptized by Paul. Have I ever told you all that story? Yeah, Jerry, you have. Well, I'll tell you, the sun was shining just like this, and Paul comes in the water. That could be the only thing that they focused on. And Paul says, I have made it my commitment never to become a distraction in the church. Paul says, I didn't come to Corinth to be heard. 
I didn't come to Corinth to be seen. I came to Corinth to lift up the name of Jesus and to proclaim the cross. And Paul says, God forbid I would ever get in the way of that. And let me tell you something, Sharon Heights. You should beware of any pastor, preacher, whatever, who wants to make themselves the hero of everything that they preach. Because if they become your hero, they set themselves up as your hero. It won't be long they'll set themselves up as your Savior. And whatever sets themselves up as your Savior can become your Lord. Paul said, you've already got a hero. You've already got a Savior. You've already got a Lord. And I am not going to eclipse the message of the crucified, resurrected Son of God by becoming a distraction. So what is to be at the center of the church? Paul says, it ain't y'all, Corinth. Paul says, it's not me, the apostle. Paul says, it is him. He says, because if I become a distraction, I could so eclipse the cross of Jesus that it becomes all about me or who I baptized or what I preached or what I did or what I sang or the dish that I made for homecoming. And Paul says, it's not about me. He says it is about a Savior who has been crucified and I would never want to empty the cross of Jesus of its power. Why? Because a church that has lost the power of the message of the cross, that thinks the power is in other things that aren't Jesus, that church is a church that has lost its Christ. And a church that has lost its Christ, man, it's lost all hope. And they've lost their power. Paul says, if you want to see power, you look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, and he'll say this at the beginning of chapter number 2, he says, I determined to know nothing among you save Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, when I came, I didn't put the spotlight on you. I didn't put the attention on me. He said, I worked by the Spirit of God to put all of our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because it is at the cross of Jesus Christ where you find God's power to forgive sin. It is at the cross of Jesus Christ where you find God's power to break the chains of addiction. It is at the cross of Jesus Christ where you find God's power to take away our past and give us a new future. It is at the cross of Jesus Christ where you find God's power to resurrect sinners and to free them to live for God. It is at the cross of Jesus Christ where you find God's power to empty the lies of depression. Paul says it is the cross that is the power of God. And if the cross is the power of God, then you never have the right to put the cross over to the side. The cross has to be the center. It has to be the focal point. It has to be the thing that holds it all together. Paul said, I refuse refuse to build this church on me. I refuse to be the center of attention. So let me ask you. There have been days recently where you've tried to make yourself the center of attention. You ever tried to prove how humble you are? There's a problem with that, isn't there? Ever tried to prove how spiritual you are? Ever tried to prove how smart you are? Ever slammed your fist and raised your voice in a meeting to prove how right you are? You ever tried to put the attention on you? Most of us have, haven't we? Paul says, I refuse to do it. I refuse to do it. 
Some of you have been embattled in church conflict because you're trying to make yourself the center of attention and you need to come today and you need to say, God, forgive me for trying to make this about me. Lord, it's all about you. And Lord, I want the focus in our church body to be on you. I skipped over this in the text. But in verse number 11, the report came to Paul from a lady named Chloe. We don't know much about Chloe. She had a cool hippie name. That's about all we know about her. Chloe loved her church enough to say, we need help. I love that about Chloe. I love that about Chloe. She is a hero in the book of 1 Corinthians. Because this lady did not leave a divided church. But she stayed. She stuck with it. And I'm sure she prayed. If she reached out to Paul, I'm sure she reached out to Jesus. And said, help. Help. It's easy to want to leave a difficult church situation, isn't it? The instincts that we have naturally, they come up in church. and Sometimes it's just fight or flight. But as God's people, we have a different set of instincts. Stay and pray. Work in love. Give yourself away for the good of people who may not deserve it, just like Jesus did for you. There's a powerful lesson in that. And some of you need to come today and say, Lord, help me to stick with these people, these saints and these sinners. Help me to love them. Others of you have been broken by church conflict. You've been hurt by somebody that wanted to put you down, to step up on you, to elevate themselves for everybody else's attention. And you've been hurt. You carry the scars of church conflict. I told you already that I was raised as a preacher's kid. So I'd be more than happy to swap horror stories with you. Some of you need to come today and you need to say, Lord, help me to heal. Help me to heal. To see your work in this place. To be a part of your work in this place. If I was Paul, the letter of 1 Corinthians would have filled on a postcard. And it would have said, Jesse, to you reprobates in Corinth, get over yourselves. Grace and peace be unto you in the name of God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. But Paul takes these people back to Jesus over and over and over again. And in spite of your hurt, maybe you need to say, Lord, I want to be that person to show Jesus to my church family. I want to finish today with a question as our musicians come and we prepare for our invitation. This, this may be kind of a, a dumb question. Somebody said there are no stupid questions. Huh? I've embarrassed myself in public before, so maybe there are. But this is not a theological question. It's not a Bible question. It's actually a history question. So forgive me. I'm a nerd. I can't help it. Let me ask you this. What was World War I about? World War I up to that time was the deadliest conflict in the history of the world. The most violent, bloody, devastating four years in human history. What was it about? Countries from all over the world dug into trenches in France and Belgium and other places, hid themselves behind barbed wire. 
dropped bombs on one another from newly invented airplanes, gassed each other with nerve gas, fired countless rounds of machine guns at one another. And millions and millions and millions of fathers, sons, and brothers left and never came home. Countless numbers of civilians were killed or had their lives uprooted. What was that about? Legitimately do not know what World War I was about. I know that guy, Ferdinand, he got himself offed and then it went from there. I know that. But what was that conflict for? It seems so meaningless, doesn't it? So much destruction, so much waste of life. Over what? Over what? And I ask that question because I want to drive home the point to you today. That church conflict, it matters. Because the church matters. But in the end, it's always meaningless. Because it's always fighting about things that don't matter as much as Jesus. It's always fighting about things that don't belong to us. It's always trying to take control of things that aren't ours. It's always about trying to put something other than Jesus in Jesus' place. And so today, it may be good to come and say, Lord, help me to be a peacemaker, for the peacemakers are blessed, and they'll be called the children of God. God, help me to heal from my scars. Help me to lift up Jesus. Help our church to never be distracted from anything but the gospel and the cross of Christ, which shows the power of God to salvation. Let's stand together today. However you feel led to come and respond, you do that as we sing this great old hymn about victory in Jesus. worship service today. Let me give you a couple of very, very quick announcements and then we'll cut you loose. Um, First of all, we will not have any evening service tonight since it is Mother's Day. Ladies, I pray you go home and you get to take a nap. You deserve it. Guys, that means everything else is on you. I hope that you get to spend some time with your mom today or if she's already gone on, I pray that today's filled with with blessed and precious memories or I hope that maybe your crowd caravans to your house and y'all get to hang out together. Secondly, Brother Dennis asked me to mention that the Properties Committee, you guys and ladies, you will be meeting next Sunday. Was that 3 or 3.30? 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. So if that concerns you, make sure that you'll be here or George and Dennis are going to come looking for you. All right? I pray the Lord blesses y'all and keeps you, makes his face shine upon you, lifts up his countenance towards y'all and gives you all his peace. Let's pray together today and be dismissed. And then we will. Then we will.